the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to chapter 12, verse 8. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we all have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, and the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our text for today's gospel proclamation comes from the Romans passage I just finished reading for you and serves as the theme of our sermon for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost before anyone else. Can we all agree that God is amazing? I mean, just look at the opening words to the letter to the Romans today, where the Apostle Paul is quoting the legendary icons like Job and Isaiah. Isaiah first said, Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Then Job adds, Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Job makes it clear that you can only give God an offering, but not before God gives you everything. And Isaiah points out that no one can talk on the level of God. Literally, no one can discern his thoughts, but God knows our innermost feelings before we can even think them. So God is above all, beyond everyone, and over everything. So we should listen to him before anyone else. BAE, or B-A-E, isn't an acronym I have noticed for some time in social media. If I understand it correctly, this is basically how kids describe their one true love, as previous generations would refer to it. I believe it means they will have no other loves, no other distractions, and it should last long enough to be 
potential marriage material. I have to tell you that such anachronisms encourage me as an increasingly older man because it tells me the divine institution of monogamy is not dead. And that is really good for all God's children in the future. If biblical institutions such as monogamy are valued again in Generation Z and on, it tells me kids are recognizing the devastating consequences of previous generations who did not value said biblical virtue, and now they want something better, like God's design for their lives. When Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, people seem to be slowly and surely reflecting on that wisdom again. And it just makes logical sense. So maybe, just maybe, a little godly logic is what we need right now. You see, data and polling numbers are tricky little devils these days. Everyone seems to have the data and polling numbers that justify their claims, yet opinions opposite of theirs are equally weighted with their own sound polling numbers and data. So I am hesitant to trust the figures like one of my favorite truisms says, liars figure and figures lie. Media is another problem as well. As the apocryphal quote of Mark Twain says, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you read the newspaper, you're misinformed. No doubt, yellow journalism has been around for centuries of newsprint. The sinking of the USS Maine, the cause of which was never determined, led to war with Spain because the yellow press jumped to the conclusion that the Spanish did it deliberately, which led to war with Spain. How many young Spaniards and Americans lost their lives remembering the Maine thanks to fake news? Even advertising has been outlandishly misleading for generations with false claims propped up pictures of enhanced food for fast food establishments and toys that did little of what the commercial showed them doing over and over again. Even celebrity endorsements that back up their outrageous claims of eternal youth and guaranteed longevity of life was so bad was the manipulation, laws had to be passed to enforce truth in advertising by the Federal Trade Commission. Unfortunately, no sooner were the laws passed than the corporations figured out how to continue their manipulation by making the outrageous claims in bright packaging on the front whilst adding in fine print to the back of the packaging that none of these claims have been endorsed or even evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. So, we are reasonably guarded and need a little godly logic. And thanks be to God, we have it and always have. God always told us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Unfortunately, we are sorely tempted to ignore these words every day. And even in the church, there is plenty that distracts us from them. Data affects the church as well. National church leaders are driven by data all the time. 
and they can make it say good things or bad things depending on what best serves their agenda on any given day. We do this even in our local church. Some look at the reports on giving student numbers and debt-to-income ratio, and one person can find blessings from God, and another can look at the exact same numbers and find the very gaping mouth of hell looking to swallow us whole. Like I said before, figures lie, and liars figure. Then there's the Barna Institute. I can't attend a single church conference outside the supportive confines of our circuit without hearing about polling data from the Barna Institute, which quickly becomes the agenda's gospel, justifying every suggested improvement to the way we do church. While I'm sure Barna employees are motivated to save the church by the sheer force of data drawn from the unchurched, I wonder why nobody seems to ask God what he thinks in these polls. Then we even have our very own fake news in the church. Whether it is the high holy gossip of the parish or competing national confessional groups and even continuing competing newspapers, not kidding, actually printed on wood pulp paper and mailed to my home. What are we in? The 20th century still? With the pressure to put out weekly and even daily messaging, would-be writers are recruited to script their myopic and grossly opinionated tomes, attempting to be the most biblical, but more likely to slouch towards Gomorrah culturally and even politically. Finally, we're even misled by Christian advertising. As Mylon Wirtz used to say so eloquently, Yet another can't-miss platform that will save the church. Whether it's on purpose-driven programming, stewardship science, or classic capital campaigning, Christian publishing houses of all ilks turn out the latest books, curriculums, or online educations that promise to alleviate all your parish woes by filling the gaps that lead to certain lost souls. Today, in our letter to the church in Rome, God eclipses all these distractions with his pure, logical conclusions. Who knows the logic of the Lord? Well, Jesus does, and he taught it to us. Jesus actually spent 40 days from the time of his resurrection to the, from the dead to the time he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And it wasn't much different than what God's people were doing all along. Worship stayed virtually the same with the liturgy they continued to use. The Seder meal converted to the communion meal. And the hymnody of the Old Testament continued as the songs of the early church. Why so simple? Why so focused on the word of God? Because as the text says today in verse 3, one should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Any church anywhere should be able to call a pastor and do this. You don't want polished actors, worship leaders, CEO-style leaders. Rather, you need the word of God, his liturgy, and his hymnody that anyone can sing. God brings his people together in every parish with the skills he gave them that were necessary to run his church in said community. Last week was the perfect example. 
We didn't hire a special advisor to project manage our sanctuary blessing. We just got it done. And God already had the people necessary in place to get her done. Media was managed. Music was made. Property was prepped. The altar was epically adorned. Earlier this year, when we were trying to figure out how to adjust the school for the COVID complexities, teachers were brought together and brilliant solutions were birthed. When we needed guidance on financing the expenses of the sanctuary, the lending agency of the National Church Body was by our side, immediately ready to make it happen. We always had all the parts necessary, just as God told us we would in the text today. And we can trust that we always will. This week, my oldest son was home. We really enjoyed discussing the challenges he's now faced with in his third year of university. He shared that cultural lines were being drawn in the metaphorical sand of the halls of education and recounted how there were particular issues he would not stand for being corrupted. Then he would add with this passion in his voice, I'm telling you, Dad, I will die on this hill. I admired the passion and remembered my similar experiences in my time on that same campus almost 30 years ago. But maturity and experience has taught us all that sometimes we do not heroically die on any hills to be memorialized in perpetuity. Rather, we are sacrificed by the bureaucracy and left for dead while everyone else simply moves on. It's a wonderfully humbling experience that logically makes sense. Our death accomplishes nothing. It only means there was a hill, and we are but buried on it. But there is a hill where another death meant everything, and the one who died on it accomplished what millions of our deaths never would. It was an ugly, skull-shaped hill where our Savior Jesus was crucified and his death saved us from this lying, manipulative, false advertising world. And even though we loved the lying manipulation and false advertising because it told us what our sinful hearts wanted to hear, Jesus still died for us because he loved us before anyone else. Now we can love him before anyone else. We can love church before anything else. We can love each other more than anyone at all. Because Jesus made it all worth living for. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.